and welcome back to the Tetetet podcast by Fresco Media and I have with me Shreyas Kushchislami here and today we're going to be talking about La Liga as a whole and of course when we mention La Liga I think we need to talk about the fact that the utter dominance that La Liga has shown over the last say 10 to 15 years on the European stage but at the same time as well you can see that there has been they're starting to we can start to see a decline in the dominance of La Liga teams on the European stage especially in the Champions League because for the first time in the thing almost 15 years a spanish team did not make it to the semifinals of the uefa champions league last season where we saw of course two french team and two uh, german teams make it to the semifinals and we all know what happened after that barcelona bayern munich went and completed the treble um today we're going to be talking about um how la liga has been the dominant force over the last 12 15 years coupled with the fact that there has been a decline in the standards of the league and we're also going to be talking about the prospects of Barcelona and Madrid going into the coming season how Atletico Madrid have had a little bit of a identity change with certain players that have come in and of course the midfield battle that is going to be taking place in the table and let's not forget we're also going to be touching upon the Messi situation how we can have a major impact on not just Barcelona but La Liga going forward La Liga experience I think it's fair to say um like you mentioned their dominance and within the dominance it's it's between atletico madrid barcelona and real madrid who themselves constituted majority of the finals in the uefa champions league the past decade and let's not forget of course the sevilla league which is the europa league having won it four times in the past decade we've even seen teams like atletic bilbao turn up in the europa league uh, on on one one or two occasions so um spain did have a very dominant period um both in the national front as well as the league front and i think it's it's quite confusing as to why they've dropped off um barcelona and real madrid specifically over the last couple of years considering that these are the clubs that are most followed across world football they have probably the best talent arguably um one would say that maybe it is due to the fact that spain has not been able to progress in the same manner as of course the premier league the bundesliga and the serie a and trying to generate a lot more competition within the league But that being said, we did expect a bit more from Barcelona and Real Madrid. Let's be honest. Um, yeah, I, I do think it's fair to say that Barcelona and Real Madrid have set, I think, crazy expectations with themselves, and of course, the fan base as well. When it comes to year in year out, what their expectations need to be come the end of the season, and what they are expected to do as a football club, and of course, given the resources they have. the worldwide fan base that they have i think it's fair to say that they don't need to win one major trophy every single season because look at the season that barcelona just but would it, wouldn't you say though wouldn't you say though that since the 2017 season where real madrid notched their fourth la liga uh, fourth champions league title this decade that there was a renewed resurgence from barcelona trying um you know grab the crown off that off uh, the rivals because remember that famous messi interview <laughs> in front of camp nou which has been yeah. memed a lot because they lost liverpool yes. that season and it almost felt like they didn't care really about the la liga title until last year of course when neither team was realistically going to win the champions league um it, it's quite a shift isn't it considering that they were only looking to retain the champions league title over yeah, the la I, liga yeah i think barcelona are a prime example of the metaphor where you say the grass is always not greener because let's let's face from let's face some facts they sacked onesto valverde for a lot of reasons and i think one of the main reasons was the fact that apparently he didn't play uh, too expansive football and at the same time he didn't make have the desired impact on the champions league latter stages but let's not forget that he won the la liga back to back and it's not an easy task 
no matter what squad that you have and of course when that squad has messi it makes the makes your situation a whole lot easier when it comes to retaining the la liga but let's once they sacked Ernesto Valverde i think everything has been going downhill from uh, barcelona and uh, i do think that's going to have a that's had a big impact on barcelona cuz right now let's see since 2017 madrid won their third in a row champions league title i think both the clubs are have been in a kind of a transition stage transition phase because barcelona have been trying to catch up with uh, uh, real madrid by making a couple of expensive signings which of course we all know that have not been unqualified successes let's talk about uh, antoine griezmann osmana dembele and philip coutinho i mean can you honestly tell me that either one of those players has been a huge success at barcelona that you can see them having a long term future at the club for say the next 3 4 5 years where they're going to have a impact at the club year in year out no i i cannot see that i mean we can still talk about dembele because he has time on his side but we all know the issues surrounding him personally and at the same time these this is a lot of money to invest just on three players and we can see the impacts of this having on barcelona right now especially in a covid affected market where they've had to sell players first in order to buy players like look at nelson semedo they sold nelson semedo for 35 million and they've gone and bought sergino des cuz i just don't understand that. i think they've have more gaping issues in the team but i think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens yeah let's 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 really get into the nitty gritty of the messi saga because no matter what we say about barcelona's trials and tribulations over the last couple of years it has to all end up towards lionel messi who's literally carry the team yes, the last no doubt. four or five years since neymar left uh, barcelona and the guy is probably the best player arguably in barcelona's history and probably one of the best of all time now to see him um i've barely seen him speak heard him speak or come on national television and give a 15 minute passionate interview um talking about his desire to leave the club it was it was almost like um it was a breakthrough point a soap opera it was, it was unbelievable opera, wasn't it? i've never seen him utter more than five yeah. words in a press conference <laughs> and here he is going on and on about his um desire to leave and how he had to you know console his kids and his wife who didn't want to leave and i think everyone knows oh, that he felt betrayed by bartomeu yeah 100% yeah, betrayed sure. of course but that that the fact that this is the only talking point no matter what happened um behind the scenes that this was that messi cup staying at barcelona wasn't really viewed as a success and rather one more year of contending with each other it says a lot about the club we will go into the more um specific reasons as to why barcelona have lost the plot the last couple of years but this has to be the running theme that messi is the man and has to be the man for barcelona yeah i think i think i think that's been like a little bit of a thing that this could be like a last dance s kind of thing where they have one last go at the champions league title but i think we need to remind certain people as well is that the chicago bulls at the uh, at the time were the most successful team on the planet in the sense that they just won the three peat and again they were almost going to win the three peat again the next season barcelona haven't won the champions league they also kept their players yes. barcelona have lost luis yes. suarez yes barcelona have not won it since 2014 and i do think that this has been this is going to be a marriage of convenience between messi and the barcelona board and uh, i think i think all neutral football fans would like to see messi lift the trophy one last time but i do see a lot of issues going a uh, lot of issues for barcelona going into this season let's not forget that there are other areas of the squad is other areas all over the pitch that they've not actually taken care of when it comes to recruitment uh 
Luis Suarez, what do you think about that situation? Him being the third highest goal scorer in Barcelona's history at 198 goals and the way that his departure has been handled by the Barcelona board. And of course, we all know Messi as well reacted and we do know that they are almost they are best friends off the pitch. I don't want to compare it to another very similar situation with Gareth Bale at Real Madrid, but this is a proper stab in the back, isn't it? Because Suarez has given everything for this club. Um, he's not the most liked player, it's fair to say, because of his antics in the past, especially with Liverpool. But this is a player that is, like you said, the third highest all-time scorer in Barcelona's history. And he's won them a couple of La Ligas, by the way. It's not like he's just been scoring goals because of Messi, Neymar and Koi. He's been exceptional. And yes, he's joined Atletico Madrid, a direct rival, which kind of baffles me as to why they let that happen. I understand Juventus move, but to sell them to your direct rivals is kind of stupid. And at the same time, losing that amount of experience and that amount of um, you know camaraderie that he, that he shares with Lionel Messi, um, it seems like they want to leave, although they want Messi to stay, they're kind of getting his friends to leave the club. We saw Arturo Vidal, one of his other good mates, leave the club uh, in the summer. And I do understand that they've made mistakes financially in giving um, aging players big contracts for a long period of time. And they have to correct these mistakes because Messi is also on a big contract and they have to keep him happy. But it's just completely mismanagement, is, uh, mismanaged, isn't it? It should be streamlined from recruitment to financials to um, you know manager appointments. It's, it just seems helter-skelter at the moment. Yeah, I do think so. And I just want to make one last point on Luis Suarez. That 2015-16 season where he scored 59 goals and I think he almost gave 23 assists. I mean, to do that during the prime of Ronaldo and Messi, I just think speaks volumes of the, volumes of the type of talent that he was. And when he was at the peak of his powers, I think he was a top three player in the world. El Pistolero. He is the El Pistolero. Unbelievable footballer. Speaking of El Pistolero, what do you what do you think about Ronald Koeman, who has kind of been attributed to for one of the main reasons for Luis Suarez leaving and one of the main reasons for the disruption that's been going on behind the scenes? I think there's one video, isn't there, that Koeman was talking a year ago about Barcelona's superstars and he said that they're the best superstars in the world, but they're aging. Why is the club giving them contracts? And he seems to be true to his word by saying that, you know, these aging footballers don't deserve to be at the club. Very harsh, but of course, he's not been at the club for the last five or six years and hasn't really seen firsthand that these players have produced miracles for the club considering their precarious financial position. Um, coming on to Koeman a bit more, uh, this is a classic case of a manager who hasn't been in the game for six to seven months because of the COVID-enforced break. And his stock has risen into, into a place where even he would have never imagined at the start of the year that he'd be a favorite for the Barcelona job. I thought maybe, you know, when uh, they sacked Ernesto Valverde and subsequently Kike Setien, that it would probably be one of Pochettino or Allegri that took over the reins because they're just more proven as a club manager. But Ronald Koeman's last two um, domestic appointments, he might have been a success at Southampton, but you can't even consider him to be a success at Everton. He was shambolic. And we're talking about Everton, who also um, splurged a lot of money at the time on a lot of players. Koeman baffles me because he might be in the position simply because he used to play for the club. And I think that's what the president, uh, Jose Maria Bartomeu, seems to indicate. But no one knows what his plans are tactically, whether he's, again, just like Valverde and Setien going to favor Messi's uh, role in the team, or is he going to give the youngsters like Coutinho, Griezmann and Ansu Fati a chance? We, we still, jury's out for that one. 
I, th- I think the theory we were speaking about that's been doing the rounds that uh, a manager's stock rises more now while he's out of a job rather than when he's in a job. I think this theory has been given some weight to that. I mean, look, like, let's look at the prime example of Sam Allardyce. I mean, the guy gets a job halfway through the season. He saves the team, starts off the season with the team next, and then the fans get behind his back because of dull, unattractive football he employs, and then he's out of a job for one year, two years, and then his stock is again on the rise in order to save a team from relegation, and then, you know, the cycle goes on and on. And let's not forget that. Just, just to veer off a little bit, Big Sam at Fulham, I, I think you should be wary of it. I think it's going to happen. <laughs> big Sam at Fulham oh for sure. Big Sam at Fulham. Wow. I'll feel bad for Scott Parker. I think he's been uh, given an impossible job by the owners. But yeah, I do see potential You mean in that. Leonardo DiCaprio. You mean <laughs> the guy, Jordan Belfort from Wolf of Wall Street, Jesus, right? Seeing Mikel Arteta and uh, Scott Parker on the sidelines. It's a log thrower from Arsene Wenger and Ferguson on the sidelines. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, anyway, sorry to distract you there. Yeah, so I was just saying about the fact that uh, you look at Sam Allardyce and you, of course, look at Frank De Boer. He's got the Netherlands job right now. And uh, we all know what happened. Chris Palace said, let's not forget that that uh, fantastic, legendary interview of Jose Mourinho where he says Frank De Boer has, I think, the worst uh, success, worst win rate ratio of any manager in PL history. So I just this goes to show that if you don't have a job in football as a manager, your stock might just increase or you might just have a crack at a good job again. Just looking at it a little bit tactically, how do you think he's going to accommodate Antoine Griezmann? Because we we knew that he never had the chances that he used to enjoy at Atletico Madrid where he played through the middle or behind a striker. Barcelona have, of course, sold their number one striker. They're trying to, they've tried to get Memphis Depay in, but even with Memphis in, I can't see um, a way in which both of them would fit. So what do you think about Griezmann's season? How important is it that he gets his positioning right? I do think this is going to be a make-or-break season for Antoine Griezmann at Barcelona. And uh, Memphis Dubai at uh, Barcelona, the more I think about it, I do see potential for that to being a success to the club because I do think he had, uh, him being the striker that he is, he do he can play out and out in the center areas. And of course, he, just, he does tend to drift to the left a little bit. But uh, Antoine Griezmann, I mean, we do know that they, he shares the same position as Lionel Messi on the pitch. Even when it's not them lining up on the same position, they do tend to drift towards the same areas in the pitch. So I just don't see, even when he signed for Barcelona, how it's going to work. Because we all know who's going to be the undisputed left-wing king, right-wing king, sorry. And it's going to be Lionel Messi. And I do hope for Barcelona. Usman Dembele, I thought. (laughs) (laughs) Usman Dembele. Oh my God, the rumors that are going around about Manchester United buying Usman Dembele. But okay, that's for another time altogether. But um, I think about Griezmann and I do think that... uh, Kuman might give him the benefit of doubt and try to make Messi more centrally dominating and also tend to drift towards the left more in order to give Griezmann and accommodate some space for him on the left to cut in or maybe to make those runs darting inwards. So it's going to be interesting to see how Ronald Kuman accommodates him in the team. Now, of course, Barcelona have a critical point in the history when their um, new president is elected next March 2021. Um it could be a game changer for the club. Um, there is rumor of Xavi being appointed as the manager with um, a potential candidate for the presidency. But uh, with all this considered, with the political turmoil uh, behind the uh, behind the uh, Blograna and of course their on pitch problems and trying to accommodate four or five players at the same position, what do you see from Barcelona this season, title wise and also in terms of performance? Do you see them racking up goals like they did 
for fun over the last three or four years? Or do you see them being a bit more reserved because the defence has just been too fragile the past couple of seasons? Uh, Ronald Koeman, now the Barcelona manager, manager I do think that his uh, remit is going to be that Barcelona need to fight for the La Liga title, of course. And also make an impact in the latter stages of the UCL. Because let's not forget that they still do have a fantastically talented squad. And Ansu Fati is clearly, clearly primed to take on the role of the left-wing player in the team right now. And I can see them challenging Real Madrid for the title. But I do think that Real Madrid will still edge them at the end of the day. And uh, I do hope that uh, for Messi's sake, that they can make a dent in the latter stages of the Champions League. And I do expect them to make it to the quarters or the semi-finals at least but yeah i don't see a major i don't see a major trophy for them at the end of the season though so real madrid um won the la liga and are the defending champions coming into this uh, present season and uh, has to be said that after the lockdown they were immensely impressive defensively um and even the fact that Sergio Ramos was their top scorer after lockdown uh, says a lot. Um, he has been, of, of course, we can't deny his goal scoring record. But it, although it was a great positive that he turned up and he scored a lot of penalties and free kicks and headers, it was a concern that the only other outlet that they had was Karim Benzema. Which, by the way, I think we all need to appreciate uh, with the work Karim Benzema does. He's not a goal scorer. He's not a creator. He's something, someone that does all the roles well. He takes all the boxes for a manager when they look for a centre-forward. Um, fantastic season last season. He's looking to build upon it this year. But Real Madrid have uh, gone through a transition and they are probably continue to go through the transition um, after Ron- Cristiano Ronaldo's departure from the Bernabeu. Um, they have signed a couple of very exciting Brazilians over the last couple of years in Vinicius and Rodrigo. Uh, Eden Hazard has still not fa- found his feet yet, and that's quite a concern because he's been turning up to um, um, preseason training every season, looking like a heavyweight boxer, which is not really good news. Um, meanwhile, they do have a few success stories. Um, Federico Valverde was scouted by the youth academy; fantastic talent. You should watch him this season. Great midfielder, and has probably replaced Luka Modric from the team, and Ferland Mendy as well at left back, displacing Marcelo. Um, some very good individual performances last season and breakthroughs into the Real Madrid season. But what is Zidane's um, outlook on this year? Is he just going to go for a Champions League and leave or is he going to go gung-ho for the treble? I think I think uh, leaving Zidane aside for the time being, I think I'm very excited to see Martin Odegaard back in the fold because let's all, uh, if we all can remember back, I think, say, four or five years ago as a 16-year-old, he was being touted as the next big thing in world football because I do think it came at a very early stage in his career development, obviously moving to Real Madrid. But I think he's justified the potential that he has shown only in flashes as a youngster. But now at Real Sociedad... I think I think credit to Real Madrid. You don't associate them with keeping faith in youngsters who don't perform, do they? 100%. And I do think that they're going to reap the rewards of this one, for sure, because his loan spell at Real Sociedad was a fantastic success. And now bringing him back into the fold, I think they have managed him perfectly. Maybe in the first two years of buying him, they didn't manage him that well. But right now, they've got it on point because his loan spells at the Netherlands and also Real Sociedad has helped him develop into a player that can compete in the squad. And uh, I think this season, when it comes to Real Madrid and the transfer business they, they've done, of course, they've not done much transfer business, to be fair. They've kind of cleaned the wage bill by getting rid of uh, James Rodriguez. And 
the uh, fantastic Gareth Bale, <laughs> uh, who we'll come back to a bit later. And of course, Sergio Regulion has joined Tottenham right now, signing a five-year deal with them. Uh, I do think that the most surprising departure, of course, has to be attributed to Ashraf Hakimi, who a lot of Madrid supporters were looking excited, looking forward to seeing him in the gold and white of Real Madrid next season. But unfortunately, he's been he'll be plying his trade at Inter Milan, and uh, we're still going to be seeing Dani Carvajal running up and down the pitch, <laughs> who's only 28 years old but has played a lot of football already, and it looks like he is a bit past his prime. Uh, talking about the manager. I do think that his priority again is going to, to be to win the La Liga title because let's face it, they have not retained the title since 2008. So that's a long time for a club like Real Madrid. So I do think, in my opinion, that it's still going to be winning the title as the main priority because let's face it, they've won four Champions League this this decade. And right now they, do, they are kind of going through a transitional phase with uh, certain youngsters, like you mentioned, like Fede Valverde, who's becoming... A mainstay in that midfield along with Vinicius Jr., Rodrigo and of course Rafael Varane who let's not forget has not even turned 30 so he still has time on his side and Fulham Mendy who has started to come into his stride at on the left-hand side of the defence. So I do think that Karim Benzema is of course going to be the main focal point again this season. He has come out of the shadow of Cristiano Ronaldo superbly and let's not forget that he's turning 33 so I do think he's going to look forward to finishing at the top and, of course, let's not forget to mention Sergio Ramos, who was their top scorer after the restart. And, um, yeah, I do think that that's going, to be the, that's going to be the main aim for Madrid this season, to retain the La Liga. But let's face it, that Barcelona have their own issues and they're rebuilding and Atletico facing the same usual questions. So, I do see them retaining La Liga. While their big rivals, Barcelona, are facing financial issue after financial issue, um... Florentino Perez is known to be, you know, one of those ex- excessively exuberant spenders of money on players, especially, we all remember the 2009 transfer window. I mean, no one could have seen that coming where Kaka and Ronaldo joined in the same window. And uh, I think those kind of signings have been a far cry from what we're seeing now with Florentino Perez, who uh, who planned very astutely to make sure that the Santiago Bernabeu's development would not be hindered by the COVID-19 pandemic. And by that, I mean, obviously, um, they did lose a lot of revenue through ticket sales, which haven't been existing over the last six to eight months. But the fact that they still ma- maintained um, almost a break-even for the last financial year despite this, and also redevelopment in the stadium, shows how well-thought and well-planned um, Perez has kept the club. And he, even Perez has mentioned a couple of occasions that his style of management off the pitch has changed to a point where he's thinking about the future. And by this, I mean, in the next couple of years, Real Madrid will reap the returns from these new hospitality areas in the Bernabeu. And that could mean, you know, new signings again, new Galacticos or maybe younger Galacticos. You never know. I do think that uh, Madrid's uh, youth policy right now, buying foreign youngsters from other continents compared to La Masia has, I mean, they've got the upper hand right now. And I think it's showing with Vinicius Jr., Rodrigo, Fede Valverde, they have kind of been holding the fort in the main team. And let's not forget that I forgot to mention the fact that Aiden Hazard needs to have a fantastic second season. And while I'm speaking this... We've all forgotten. We've all I, forgotten. I don't know why we've all forgot about him. He's already got he was injured. He the best player in the world a couple of seasons He's already ago. got injured. This is so sad. This is... I'm, I'm, I can't believe I'm saying this. He's already injured. He's going to be missing, I think, four to eight weeks already of the start of the season. So, I think it's going to be a defining season for him personally and for Madrid as well. So, I do think that 
Florentino Perez has made some astute business in the transfer market over the last two, three years by investing in youth. And uh, it's going to help him, of course. And uh, talking about uh, the Bernabeu as well, when I do think that when it does open and uh, hopefully when things get back to normal as soon as possible, the money that they're going to be able to generate through the stadium, I do think that they are going to be primed to baby buy one or two more Galactical signings next season, where I, I can see them investing in midfield and maybe in defense as well, with maybe Diopa Makano, someone coming into that mid uh, defense as well, to anchor it with uh, Rafael Varane for the long term. Real Madrid also need to look a little bit into their squad depth because we didn't see too much of Luka Jovic last season. Um, forward again, who just like his uh, teammate in Eintracht Frankfurt, uh, Sebastian Haller, never really hit the ground running for either of their teams. And uh, Edda Militao as well didn't get a real shout in the center of the uh, park. I mean, it's hard enough trying to replace one of Ramos and uh, Rafael Varane uh, competently. But there are some players who, just like you mentioned, Hazard is another one. And we don't even mention him as, you know, he's not... It doesn't seem like it's this is the same kind of season that it is for Griezmann because Griezmann has been a La Liga player for almost his entire career. It's kind of different. You expect something from him. But with Hazard, we haven't seen anything of him in the La Liga to say that, you know, he needs to score this this number of goals or, you know, be a provider or what his role is in the team because we've seen Vinicius and Rodrigo who are capable of filling the shoes of Eden Hazard. That's that's quite concerning for him. But at the same time, it speaks volumes about the depth they have in their squad. I mean, he needs to be on the pitch for him to show what he's capable of doing, right? And I think that's been the biggest problem. I mean, his uh, weight issues in preseason, not just this season, last season as well, have been well documented right now. And clearly, he does have an issue when it comes to him binging on his uh, holiday food, let's uh, to put it lightly. But uh, yeah, I do think something needs to give because let's not forget they've invested a lot of money in this player and I do think that he's letting down the team and let's not forget that he wanted to move to Madrid. He wanted this move. He wanted to play for his idols in Nadine Zidane. He wanted to play for Madrid who he thinks is the biggest club in the world. So something has to give from his side and I do think that there needs to be a change from him in terms of his mentality. And coming on to other players like Luka Jovic and uh, Edda Milishao, um, Luka Jovic has been uh, offered by Real Madrid to a lot of clubs in order to take him out on loan and maybe free up some of his uh, wage bill, some of the wage bill. But uh, <clears throat> now that looks unlikely for him to be moving on from the club, uh, at least for this season, or at least until the January transfer window, I do think that Zidane needs to try his best in order to accommodate in his team at least for the B team when it comes to the Copa del Rey games. Because I do think that one of the traits that we've been seeing about Zinedine Zidane is that if he does not fancy a player, he does not give him a chance at all. He does not try to get the player to change his mind, which I don't think is the greatest of choices. Especially <clears throat> Gareth Bale. Yeah. yeah, I mean, come on. This is going to be a season where the footballing calendar is going to be extremely jam-packed. So I do think that Zidane needs to be a little bit more flexible now and give Luka Jovic a greater run in the team and to at least try and showcase the form that he showed at Eintracht Frankfurt. Well, finally, speaking of Real Madrid, uh, I just mentioned there briefly Gareth Bale, but I mean, uh, for, a, for a player who's done so much for the club in similar vein to Luis Suarez, but he's actually won uh, most significant trophies by this. I mean, Champions Leagues directly, in fact, not even indirectly. What is your take? Is it is it because of the, you know, the differences between how Spain and England work? that he's not appreciated. Do you actually think that 
his golf antics are not welcome at a club like Real Madrid. What is your take on how he's been treated after his departure at Real Madrid? I find the Gareth Bale situation very interesting because I do think that I'm in a position to give my opinion in it just because of the fact that we have a certain similar situation as Arsenal fans that we have at Arsenal. I mean, Mezir Mezit Ozil <laughs> and his whole contract situation with Arsenal as such with his, the 350k wage thing, which a lot of other teams, of course, do not want to buy him because of that sole reason because he does not want to drop in his wages. And uh, coming to Gareth Bale... Uh, when it comes to Gareth Bale and Zinedine Zidane, I do think that uh, I think Zidane needs to have 60 to 70 percent of the blame, and of course, Gareth Bale also needs to take certain blame because he's showing also how much he doesn't care anymore after a certain point. Yes, we all can see that he came off the bench and he won the Champions League for Madrid against Liverpool in the final, where he scored that wonderful overhead kick. But uh, immediately after that, he told the press that he felt that he needed to start, which actually kind of irritated Zinedine Zidane and. Immediately, it's after that where he said that uh, I wouldn't mind uh, Gareth Bale leaving the club if he had to. But then we all know what happened. That season, Cristiano Ronaldo left uh, Real Madrid. So, it was almost impossible for Gareth Bale to leave. And actually, people thought Gareth Bale would finally be primed to take on a main role in this team, which I also thought he would. But clearly, there have been some personal issues between uh, Zinedine Zidane and Gareth Bale that he's not even got him in the squad for certain games. So, I do think that the initial... uh, Initial falls between them were created by Zinedine Zidane because I don't know why he's been so stubborn about the fact that he doesn't want Gareth Bale in his team. But after that also, I feel that uh, Gareth Bale has also made some unnecessary comments when it comes to how he does not care about what the people think. And yes, he like that's actually a good attribute to have. But then you do need to be a team player when it comes to certain media responsibilities. And I do think that he's also kind of contributed to his downfall on the Real Madrid. But having said that, it's done. They've moved, he's moved to Tottenham Hotspur right now. And as much as I don't like them, I do hope that he does have a good season with them because we all know how great a fantastic player that he can be on his day. Atletico Madrid, um, led by the charismatic manager or El Cholo as he's known, Diego Simeone, has, has tried to change his philosophy from the dogged defensive long ball approach that you mentioned is um, a B-Tech version of Sam Allardyce into something that is more modern and something that could actually win them some um, trophies. And they've they've struggled to score goals. That has been the main problem for Atletico Madrid over the last couple of seasons. Yes, they are going through a transition. Um, they've lost a lot of key players like Diego Godin, Habi, and uh, they're trying to replace them with, you know, more futuristic talents like Jao Felix and Thomas Lemar. But how how much do you think Simeone needs to um, change from his established thought of how he wants his team to play? I think as far as Simeone is concerned, the minute that you do start, it's like it's like Mourinho. You're willing to see that football as long as results are coming in and as long as the trophies are coming in. And for a certain period of time, you didn't expect trophies from Atletico Madrid. He got them to a point where he was challenging Barcelona and Atletico Madrid with that type of style of football that he used to that he employs. And I think for that time, it was perfect for Atletico Madrid. But now I do expect Simeone to kind of evolve with the type of uh, football that he tries to preach with the team. I mean, let's look at the fact that he has brought Luis Suarez now into the team. And uh, mentality-wise, I think he's on the same wavelength as Diego Costa, Diego Simeone himself. Maybe even the past of uh, Diego Simo, uh, Diego Godin and uh, Gabi. But let's not forget, he's an excellent technical player. 
And you have also who are Fe- uh, Joao Felix, who you can put into the team as well. And let's not forget that Thomas Partey, who may or may not le- leave the club. Lucas Torreira is going to be joining the club on a season-long loan. And when you have also Sal Niguez, in, when you add Sal Niguez into the equation, you have a very competent midfield where you can also put Marcus Lorente maybe as an attacking uh, midfielder. And you have a system where you can have, of course, when you talk about one of the most exciting left-backs right now in the game, Renan Lodi, who is considered to may have a breakout season. And since that, you can also look at the fact that this team can be primed to be with Simeone's aggression and mentality, but also play football with short passes, with a more technical aspect to the game. And I do think that El Locho is trying to make the change into more of a football possession-based game rather than just banging the ball up front in order to uh, have Diego Costa chest the ball and then pass it on to maybe say Alvaro Morata, who's now moved on to uh, Juventus. When we look at the core of the team, this is where I find it quite fascinating because you have proven experience. Um, I think Jan Oblak is the best keeper in the world, or at least the best shot stopper in the world. Of course. And there's no debate I, I about it. I didn't even forget. I forgot to mention him. And uh, you have a defensive pairing of um, Jose Maria Jimenez, who has been in the club for a long time. And it's fair to say that he's yet to hit his peak because he's only 25 years old. Uh, they they found Felipe to be a, a very good um, supporting cast to Jimenez at the back. Uh, Stefan Savic, who used to be at Manchester City, was playing a big role for them where he, I mean, famously in the Liverpool game in the Champions League quarterfinals, pre-quarters, he was the man who was leading the defence and trying to head every ball out and clear every ball out. They still have that instinct of defend first at all costs. But I think, like you mentioned, kind of transitioning towards uh, what they can do with the ball, even if they don't have the ball as much as, you know, maybe the other teams would like to, they need to make more use of the ball. And by that, I mean not pumping it long and trying to play through the wings, which is where they have a lot of um, really good players. You know, technically, they have Carrasco, they have Jao Felix, they have Thomas Lamar, Luis Suarez. Uh, uh, Marcus Llorente, Saul, Koke, very, very good uh, players with the ball and they need to try and make the most of it. Kieran Trippier has joined a mixed kind of um, season last year. He needs to find his feet as well and I think Luis Suarez joining could actually help him. Um, Then you're moving up front, you're finding that they just need some goals. I think once they get some goals, I think they'll be a deadly threat. To Barcelona and Real Madrid. I mean, let's not forget that I think Luis Suarez had the best impact you could have, you could ask for as a debutant at your new team. I mean, let's not forget he came on the second, 72nd minute, if I'm not wrong, and he had two goals and one assist. So, as far as getting the fans on your side, I mean, if he didn't have them already on his side before the uh, kickoff of the game, he surely did after the final whistle blew. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Luis Suarez was definitely. Um... You know, he didn't need to be welcomed by the fans. He brought himself onto the scene. And such is the talent that he possesses that even at the, you know, when he's into his 30s, he can still be a leader for this team. And that's where I see them being a major threat. I actually tipped them to, I'm not I'm not 100% sure, but I actually think they would be more competent at challenging for the league title than they have in the last six to seven years. Of course, they did win the last um, non-Barca Real Madrid title in 13-14 on that thrilling final day against uh, Barcelona but this might be the year for them to maybe come within one or two points of the title because I genuinely see them scoring goals week in week out and I also see them defending well and that is the best combination right when you're scoring goals and defending so I can I can of course see them 
um you know kind of creating uh big problems do you, do you do you think that do you think that they will they have a better chance of finishing first to second compared to say barcelona barcelona is the one barcelona is the unknown at this point in time because we just don't know what ronald koeman is and we don't know what he's going to do with the team how they're going to respond if they lose a game or two and what happens when um you know messi is unhappy again because it's not like he's going to be you know he's not going to act happy the whole season we all know he wants to leave so a um, lot of unknowns with barcelona and while real madrid might you know grind out the results week upon week uh, keeping clean sheets you have to wonder whether they have goals other than benzema and especially if eden hazard doesn't make a mark this season you're slightly worrying about the number of goals in their side atleti on the other hand and this is surprising to say that they might actually have more goals then um real madrid and that's where i see they could be a threat and they could possibly rest that league title for the first time since 1314 talking about the other clubs that are there in and around the top 4 positions i think it would be remiss if we don't mention about sevilla and uh, sevilla this season is going to be a very interesting prospect to see in la liga as such after last summer where he saw the return of monchi he actually again kind of saw a whole oversell of the squad in the sense that with the only business being suso's loan from ac milan being made permanent and also the arrival of oscar rodriguez from real madrid back on their excellent season that he had at leganes and of course let's not forget that ivan rakitic has finally returned back to his home as he has put it across um, i do think that they're going to see also sergio regulion being a big miss at that left back position where they stormed to the final of europa football and won it again um few have experienced such a rapid rise and a brutal raw fall from grace as hulen lopetegui who of course we all know what happened in 2018 when he was the manager of the Sp- spanish national team going into the world cup when he of course i do think that it was poorly handled by him the fa and of course real madrid as well where he signed a contract with real madrid stating that once the world cup was over he would take over the team and when when the media got uh, word of it it came out and he did not deny it and of course we all know what happened i think it was 4 days before the start of the first game ulin lopetegui was sacked from his position of course which was unbelievable because let's not forget within the span of 4 months after that he was sacked from the real madrid job as well and i think that had a hard hitting impact on him and it's good to see that from a laughing stock he has he has brought back his reputation from the ashes and i do see that sevilla may be the team that finishes fourth in la liga this season i agree with you because for the first time in a long time after they won the europa league they haven't really sold the key players in the team you know they've kept hold of diego carlos jules kunde who made up a very good backline um the keeper as well bodo who was unbelievably um a key in the game against man united is still at the team um they still have their um um very astute signing and the winger lucas ocampos um of course ivan rakitic's arrival could really bolster that midfield because ever banega's left to join um a saudi arabian side and uh, i think generally this this is a different sevilla as in we haven't seen them win the europa league keep their core and keep their manager 
And this is one of those rare occasions where they can actually compete and comfortably finish in the top four. I also just want to touch upon Monchi and give him a little bit of credit, of course, with Jules Conde, who was an inspired signing last summer, because let's not forget that he's only 21. It just goes to show the depth of resources that France have at the disposal that he has made his debut only right now for their under-21 team. So I do think that that needs to be given also as one of Monchi's uh, master strokes in the transfer market. I think both of us, it's fair to say, talk about Monchi a lot. But we talk about him a lot because he is so good at his job. I don't think we can compare him um, to any other sporting director in the world uh, for the last 15 years in terms of their impact on a club. Uh, Michael Edwards has been inspirational at Liverpool. Definitely. But Monchi truly. is different gravy, you know, when yes. it comes to sporting direction. And unbelievable. Hats off to the guy. Now, let's come to a team that finished sixth in La Liga last season, Real Sociedad. And when we speak about Real Sociedad, we always talk about a team that kind of is performing in the top 10 and the top 6. They have that occasional run that they almost make it to the Champions League. But they always seem to de- seem to be a team that's an all-saran. And uh, what do you make of this team, Real Sociedad, and their chances going into this season and what their aspirations should be? I think it's 100% correct what you said there. Um, they're an all-saran and no one knows whether they're a club that wants to get to the top 4, top 6 where they want to just finish in the Liga, stay up, where they want to do well in Europe. Because the players they have seem to defy their ambition as a club. You know, they've brought in David Silva this season. They've snatched him from Lazio, who thought they had a deal, but they didn't. And they've had very, very good players that have played for them. You know, they, they still have a lot of them. Asya E.R. Mendy, who used to play for Real Madrid, is uh, sparing them midfield. And you even had Mikel Oyazabal, who has been a great uh, addition to the side, a 23-year-old winger. Um, some of these players are, you know, probably cut out to be playing in the Champions League. But at the same time, the club is not pushing towards that direction. So you kind of wonder what does Sociedad have to do this season to classify as a success. And I personally think a Europa League spot is what they're going to aim at because of Sevilla's um, consistency and the way they've been able to keep their players. Um, I think David Silva in the La Liga could be almost like Santi Cazola in the La Liga where... They just have more freedom. They don't have that pressure week in, week out. And they can actually express themselves. And we know how good an artist he is. So maybe you could see some passes of magic, really, from David Silva as the season goes on. But yeah, like you, like both of us have agreed, they just also ran. And we don't expect big things from them this year. A manager that you know very well, of course. One who is very close to your heart. Unai Emery has taken over the reins at Villarreal. Um, what do you have to say about the appointment? And what do you have to say about the signings he's made? Because they've been pretty surprising, haven't they, so far? Um, Unai Emery, I mean, a man who's very close to my heart uh, after he took over the Arsenal job after Arsenal Wenger retired. But I think that's a talk for another day. And uh, <laughs> um, I think Unai Emery has his work cut out for him. And let's not forget that also Unai Emery's reputation at so-called big clubs, I mean, of course, PSG, Arsenal, just just name two. And of course, his work at Sevilla, but his uh, immediate work at PSG and Sevilla, I do think at PSG and Arsenal, I do think his reputation has taken a dent in the sense that he's not equipped to take the jobs at the biggest clubs in the world. And uh, I think this is a shot at redemption. When you look at Villarreal's team, they, of course, lost Santi Cazola, who was their star man over the last two seasons. He has departed for Al Saad. And if you look at central midfielder Zambo Anguiza, whose loan spell also came to an end, and now he's back at Fulham. Um, They've also made certain signings that I do think that they can 
bring them back to the level where they expect them to be. Uh, of course, Danny Parejo, who was the captain of uh, Valencia, he left to join Villarreal after the exodus that happened in Valencia, which we'll touch upon a bit in some time. And of course, Francis Coquelin, who were both snapped up by Emery on four-year deals. Um, they finished fifth last season, which is actually quite uh, creditable under the st- stewardship of uh, Javi Kaleja. Uh, but I do think that they can try and aim for a bit higher this season in the sense that if Unai Emery gets back to the basics of how he handled his team at Sevilla and the way that he tried to build a united front from the back to the uh, to the front in the pitch, um, I do see, I can expect them to challenge Sevilla for that fourth position in La Liga. And I do think that it's going to be a make-or-break season for Emery as well in terms of the potential that he has in terms of the clubs that he can go and try to manage in the future. Let's not forget that there are certain clubs, certain big clubs that might be having managerial positions open at the end of the season and it can be to his benefit if he has a solid season at Villarreal. Coming on to uh, Valencia, a club that we've both been passionately speaking about how they've been uh, probably the worst-run club in the whole of the top five leagues in Europe. Um, Valencia have just gone from you know disaster to disappointment, really, um, having sold half their squad for almost peanuts. And at the same time, they haven't been exactly streamlined at the board level because Anil Murthy and Peter Lim, are the, are the owner and the CEO, have failed to communicate effectively with the playing staff, the uh, management and the fans because the golden alignment, as they talk about, a lot of pundits talk about how the management, the uh, players in the team, the manager and the fans need to be in perfect alignment for a club to succeed. It seems to be broken everywhere uh, in Valencia and uh, it was quite surprising to me that Valencia actually did win the first game of the season. It was it was quite a shock actually because I I did expect them to you know lose the first two or three games under the new manager Javi Garcia and uh, our calls for I mean there have been very condemnable death threats uh, thrown at uh, Anil Murthy over the past couple of weeks. Yeah, I do think we need to condemn that. Yes, for sure. But uh, it just shows the fans' frustration and Valencia, another club that. Is the only other club other than Atletico, Barcelona, and Real Madrid to lift the um, the Liga in this century has just fallen off the cliff. We're going to be talking about Real Betis this season and about this the 2020-2021 season under Manuel Pellegrini. And um, they finished a lowly 15th last season and I do think a lot more is expected from them this season. Of course, Pellegrini will be expecting more from himself as well. And let's not forget that they do have a decent squad when it comes to uh, individual talents. Let's not forget Joaquin, who has made the highest number of ex- uh, uh, appearances as an outfield player in La Liga. And uh, Nabil Fakir is there as well with Sergio Canales. And uh, what do you think about Fakir? Uh, what do you think about uh, Real Betis and their expectations for this season? Of course, along with the signings that they've made of Martin Montoya, Claudio Bravo, and Victor Ruiz, all coming in for free. I think Real, Madrid, Real Betis is a Real Sociedad with a bit of vision because they stri- they're seeking to try and eclipse their um, local rival Sevilla to get into the top four spot. I think they've tried it for two or three seasons now. And Kike Setien, who used to be uh, in charge of Betis, did leave for Barcelona and kind of left uh, a lot of problems that they didn't want to deal with. And this all started, I think, with Nabil Fekir's signing. There's a big signing of intent from Real Betis and 
Of course, they snatched him up after his failed uh, negotiations with uh, Liverpool. But we all thought that, you know, Betis might be a club to reckon with as a force in the next couple of three seasons. doesn't seem like they've hit the heights yet. And we wait to see whether Pellegrini is the man for them. I mean, don't forget that this is a manager who has won the Premier League, has great experience across Spain and Europe in general, but has also in, endured a big dip and a big, uh, you know, bold to his reputation because of his uh, failings at West Ham. So you have a motivated manager, you have a motivated set of players. I think Betis should be looking to get into the Europa League places. You know, they probably would be competing with Villarreal for the fifth spot, I feel, in my opinion. And we, I, I think we just want to see Nabil Fakir consistently perform every game with support around him because that is the biggest problem. Apart from Canales and Joaquin, there's no real player that strikes you as a player who is on the level of Nabil Fakir. So, a lot remain to be desired on uh, Betis' front. Well, here's another team that you'd probably associate yourself to be closer to, uh, more so because one of um, Arsenal's legends did take over the reins of this club a couple of seasons ago, and I'm talking about Granada, uh, for whom Tony Adams, the <laughs> Arsenal legend, was, uh, you know, I, I can't even call his managerial experience a failure. I think it was a catastrophe. Uh, couldn't speak the language, and the similar to Gary Neville. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But I mean, for all the failures and the negatives we're highlighting, unbelievable that they've actually qualified for the Europa League. You know, this is not a club that we associate with being a top six, top seven club in La Liga. And here they are with Roberto Soldado, a Tottenham legend, <laughs> um, spearheading them up front. Unbelievable achievement for Granada. And the, the fact they've actually qualified for the Europa League, you know, yesterday they, lo- they won against, uh, I think, Ferenc, no. I forgot the team that they won against, but um, they got they qualified for the Europa League. And we all know that Spanish teams tend to do well in the Europa League. Hetafe did pretty decently last year until uh, they bowed out to Inter Milan. So, a lot expected from them on the Europa front. I don't think their priorities would be in the La Liga, La Liga other than survival. But um, could be a team that you probably would see in the last 32, last 16 of Europa. League. I also think that uh, Diego Martinez is one of the brightest young coaches in the Spanish game. And he has enhanced his reputation with the miraculous achievements last term with uh, Granada. Um, let's let's look at the facts that he took over a side that had just finished 10th in the Segunda Division in the summer of 2018. Two years on and he's preparing to lead Granada into Europe, having quickly established a clear identity and found the winning formula. Um, let's look at the players that they also have that Maxim Gonalons, who's going to be playing in midfield as well. And of course, they've bought uh, Luis Milia from Tenerife for 5 million. Uh, but I'm very excited about uh, Jesus Vallejo coming from Real Madrid on loan and along with Maxim Gonalons, who has been bought for 4 million. Uh, I do think that there can be a solid uh, uh, spine to the team with these acquisitions. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they juggle their European aspirations of making it at least to the last 16 or last 32, like you mentioned, along with uh, kind of uh, maintaining the form that they've shown in La Liga over the last two years. So with that, we come to an end of our preview of the La Liga. We hope that you enjoyed listening to us. Uh, We're trying to get you as much information as you can on the La Liga. Of course, if you do have any suggestions, please drop them in the comments below. And do reach out on our socials, on Twitter, Instagram to get hold of some new content. We do have a series called Sussing Sunday, which which is quite fun. And um, on that note, it's goodbye for now. But I hope you tune in uh, the following week.